then we get into Hebrews, and that's the last time we'll we'll have a mention there. And that is only to make sure that we understand there's been a major change and a shift here. There was something that went on before. You have men set up and a similitude of Christ to point to him. Uh, but now something has changed. And now Christ is that one that we will look to. And that is a major seminal point, uh, a changeover right there. And what we find is whatever we say about priesthood today or ideas about priesthood, whatever is challenging for your listeners to listen to, um, what we know is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he does call out upon men. He calls upon individuals uh, to serve him. And he and there are various offices. And offices are essentially they're, they're names of things of a type of job that he's asked them to do. Um, and so we have names for those. Uh, the, I don't think the names are as important as what it is that God's asking him to do. He's, he's asking them to do specific tasks. And people are set aside to do those tasks. We call that ordination. Uh, all of this is true. We believe in it. Um, but something began to change in those beliefs, and we set up a whole other thing that is so much more, and it just really kind of overshadows what Christ did for us. It overshadows the Book of Mormon, and it really overshadows our own personal relationship and covenant with Christ that we're supposed to have. All of these high priests, according to Alma, were ordained directly by God himself. And so they will know that, that is their only purpose, to point to Christ and know what manner in which to expect that Christ will come and, and how he will be. So if so that's the my, case, if that's their job, once he comes, what is their job after that? So then when Christ comes, exactly, after Christ is here, you know, they're they're our our last great high priest he is the fulfillment yeah. of and we see that the very last high priest the last of the priesthood the priests after the order of son of god is a man named nephi and he he is there on the scene as a high priest before christ comes he's there when christ comes down christ literally calls him out by name and has him come forward and i think he falls at the feet of jesus there and what happens is what we see is and uh, Nephi lays down this high priesthood and he is called to a new calling. He gets rebaptized and he gets a whole new calling. He's called to baptize people now um, under this new covenant, the terms of the new covenant, the full understanding. Now that he's come, it's now official. They've been always looking forward. They've been having faith, exercising faith, but now it's, it's official. And, he is made a disciple, uh, one of the 12 disciples. If you go to Mormon later on, Mormon talks about the three disciples who were changed and never tasted a death. When the, when the Nephites went bad and abandoned God, it said that the gifts were taken away from them. They no longer had spiritual gifts. There was no more healings. There was no more prophecy. There was none of this stuff. Everything was taken away from them. All the signs of the believers are removed. And he said... And the three disciples who were elders were taken. And Moroni refers to them as elders. So this high priest now becomes an elder. 
in the body of Christ. Um, and we so, never hear the word priesthood ever again. Uh, and nor do you ever hear Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthood in the Book of Mormon, except in the context of a high priest being after the order of Son of God, which is after the order of Melchizedek, etc. Let's, um, I want to bring up a couple of scriptures here that I find interesting. Now, guys, this is, again, uh, keep in mind what we started out saying. The changed heart, loving one another is most important. These things are secondary. And so we, we don't need to get super riled up when we explore things. But this is just too, in Exodus chapter 34, we have a scripture and I've got the inspired version and the King James version. This we've just talked about how simple the priesthood is supposed to be or was. Chapter 34, Joseph Smith wrote in the inspired version, I the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two other tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon them also the words of the law, according as they were written at the first on the tables which you broke. But it shall not be according to the first, for I will take away the priesthood out of their midst. Therefore, my holy order and the ordinances thereof shall not go before them, for my presence shall not go up in their midst, lest I destroy them. Yeah. That's, now, here's, here's the King James. It doesn't say anything about priesthood. It just says, the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone, like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words which there were in the first tables which you broke. So remember back in section 83, Joseph, this is before the inspired version, gave that uh, revelation. He took Moses out of their midst and the holy priesthood also. And the lesser priesthood continued, which priesthood holdeth the key of the ministering angels, the preparatory gospel which gospel is the gospel of repentance and baptism and the remission of sins and the law okay. of carnal commandments. Let me, I cannot, but they uh, didn't baptize or any of those things under the, the old, in the old covenant. But see what, once you give a revelation like this, and now you've, now you have opportunity, let's go into the inspired version and let's make this cohesive all the way back to Moses. Yeah. Since I just said that Moses took it out of their midst. Here's another question i have with this this section what in the world how what is so preparatory about having a remission of your sins when i stand before jesus that's the end result man i'm either clean or i'm not you come you would get baptized because of jesus you be you get baptized because you want to make a covenant with him um we just read in alma if uh, if we had read the whole thing that alma speaks about about the high priesthood that came before Christ and pointed to Christ, it says that their ministry is preparatory to prepare them for Christ. So it's saying the Melchizedek priesthood is preparatory. Um, this is a tough one. And I know that this is going to upset people. And look, uh, but when you look at this in the inspired version, um, we have, we have copies of the Pentateuch that go back and date long before the great and abominable church of the church of Rome, before the church of Rome existed. Joseph is in here adding things to the word of God, supposedly because the, the great and abominable church of the church of Rome must've removed this, but we have copies of this predating 
the Catholic Church long before. So this wasn't taken out. And when we look at what the various groups added into the Pentateuch, uh, and particularly the priestly group, what's interesting is they never dared remove anything. They didn't. They added to, which is what Satan does more often than anything, is he just adds to so he can confound the whole thing and make you confused. They added to it. And because of that, if you, a careful reading of the Pentateuch, the five books of the Bible, the first five books, will show you a lot of contradictions. And they knew those contradictions existed, but they were terrified. They were, they had too much respect. They added a lot of things that they thought was right, but they weren't going to remove those things. And so those actual contradictions still exist to show you the different groups that had different ideas, but they left them in there. They just added a whole lot more things. So I don't know why Joseph is adding this back in here other than to make everything consistent across the board with what we now have in the doctrine and covenants. Well, yeah, let's look at another piece of the puzzle. This is Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 2 right here. Let's look at the difference between um, King James and inspired. I will write on the tables the words that were on the first tables which thou breakest, save the words of the everlasting covenant of the holy priesthood, and thou shalt put them in the ark. That everlasting covenant of the holy priesthood. Wow. Uh, that's not in the... King James Version. That's not in the other versions. That's something it's not in the Bible is, or the Book of Mormon. This is setting up something. This is setting, this is uh, giving, Joseph's trying to give credence to something he set up that is a completely fictional, imaginative thing. And he's setting it that it was, that it was a long time ago. Um, and another thing you brought out, section 83, if it said, if there was, you know, if it says this priesthood continues until John, why then does later Joseph say John the Baptist came and restored the Aaronic priesthood when he gave a revelation that said it would continue until John? Yeah. And why would why would John then give something back? That was a huge. So well, let's talk about this for a minute. This was really one of my favorite parts of episode three that I had not um, recognized before was the timing of John the Baptist and Joseph explaining that he had appeared. That was not, mm. that was not in the story of the restoration anywhere, was it? Nope. Until uh, a certain point. The first five years or so of the restoration, there is no mention of priesthood, no mention of Aaronic or Melchizedek. There is no mention of uh, Peter, James, and John, or John the Baptist. Um, what they did was they knew that God was bringing the church out of the wilderness. He had given them this record and the way to proceed. They were baptizing each other, and they were setting men aside into ministry according to the scriptures and as the Holy Spirit led. So they were ordaining elders. They were ordaining priests, teachers, the same priests that you find in the Book of Mormon. They were following that as a pattern, which is fine. Uh, it doesn't mean there isn't deacons. Later on, they added deacons. That's fine. Um, you know, there's some other ministries mentioned in the Bible. That doesn't mean there's that you have to stick with only elders. In my mind, I don't. I, I'm not one of these people that is. You know, that the Book of Mormon has every single thing. Absolutely, positively. But they essentially they were using the Book of Mormon as a pattern because they they knew that was the, the purest book that had come to them, and that's what they were doing. And they understood that God was calling men forward, and because God called them by revelation, that 
inherent within that calling was the authority. And so they understood, and David Whitmer will back that up. He's like, we understood there was authority. We had authority. Why did we have authority? Because we were better than everybody else, or we had these various ordinances. It wasn't really that. It was because God himself was bringing the church out of the wilderness. He was speaking to men, calling them to perform various ministries, and with that is authority. They'd never heard the term priesthood, not until late 1834. And then, even then, it began with uh, Joseph making a claim, and Joseph was under attack about his authority and, and whether he had the right to do whatever he's doing. And and suddenly, in a speech, he says, well, I was ordained by an angel. It was unnamed. And then later, Oliver Cowdery writing uh, in defense of the church against critics of the church for the first time ever in writing with Joseph's help, they spoke about that they had received the priesthood by an angel, unnamed. And then soon after, 1835, suddenly we have John the Baptist gave them the Aaronic priesthood, and then there was a Melchizedek priesthood after that. Never mind that back in 1831, Joseph had already written that he'd received the high priesthood or the Melchizedek. They didn't call it Melchizedek priesthood, but that he was basically in the high priesthood, whatever that meant. And he had, uh, he was ordained by one of the other elders to that office. So why is that happening if he's supposedly receiving the high priesthood from Peter, James, and John? So there's a lot of contradictions there. Yeah, and what would that, <laughs> it's hard to unsee it once you see it. Yeah. But it, it, I mean, you're under this, you're under this thought process because that's how we were raised. But uh, it's interesting if you go back to 1831 on the on the uh, Stoll Farm, I think it was, or the um, it was in Kirtland uh, Morley Farm. I can't remember the name of it, but I do remember the meeting. It's one of the most well documented yeah. meetings. There's seven or eight personal handwritten accounts. It was a mess. The they they were supposedly calling people to an office of high priest. Um, Satan was there, you know, a guy flipped out of a window, landed on his back. Uh, Their faces were contorted terribly. It says they were, they were taken over by an evil demon. It's right in our church history. It's not yeah. even hidden. As soon and, as they got ordained to high priest, boom, seized upon by an evil spirit. So that it was quite the thing. What, what got me afterwards was that supposedly they, they had also just received this endowment, but the men were standing around and like having asking questions like well what is this endowment exactly what, what it's not like we just read in uh, helaman or in pentecost where there was light and wisdom and knowledge and people were prophesying these guys were were standing around saying what just happened what is this endowment what, what are we supposed to do now one guy was told you're going to go here and preach and he and he said i'm not doing that and he gave up his completely high left the church yeah uh another one tarred and feathered joseph months later uh, yeah, the same the same guy. That same guy was one of the men who tarred and feathered Joseph. That is extraordinary. Uh, wow. I'm I'm asked when we look at that. So anyway, something about this this high priesthood in order of Melchizedek was was brought back in. But but you said Joseph was seeming to lose power because uh, he had received a revelation. This is interesting about. The people in Independence, like they're in Kirtland, the people in Independence, the saints had been run out. You know, they printed the Book of Commandments, all of that, um, and that God was going to redeem them and bring them back to their inheritance to the land of Zion, and that he would send this servant, 
the Lord of the vineyard would send a servant. And then a couple of revelations later, he says, that servant is Joseph Smith. Gather your warriors, gather your armies, go and redeem this people with power. And they started this march towards independence. You called it a paramilitary uh, organization. And that's what it was. They, they, were. they were to go out and gather up a thousand men with guns to go. Yeah, and by the take grace, it back by force. I think it was cholera that entered this march and people died and it was kind of shut down. Yeah. And this is, this is the backdrop of when the story of priesthood and the receiving of a restored priesthood through angelic ministry became suddenly appeared. And it was because there was a massive attacks on Mormonism, massive attack on the church. There were, there were, there were claims being made against Joseph and Kirtland by people. There was a book come out talking about, I think it's called Mormonism unveiled a huge attack, but not just from external, but within the church, there became a great dissatisfaction, you know, by section eight, 18, uh, by 1832 section 80 or what section is that? 84. Uh, it says the whole church is under condemnation. Well, you know, I think if Satan wrote that revelation, if, if he did, I mean, he had to give them truth and they had, there had to be some explanation as to why, you know, but something was going on and they were sensing something was wrong and there was great dissatisfaction. Now, okay. Uh, somehow the saints get run out of independence. How'd that happen? Well, David Whitmer prophesied to him that would happen because they went and printed these revelations they weren't supposed to. Why, why didn't they just repent? They could have repented, but no, we're sending an army now. And then disaster strikes. And well, so because the whole... there was two revelations that this was to be done. And then it, it, it ends up in a, then a fizzle or a, a terrible, uh, you know, death. And that's the, where people were looking at Joseph, right? Men were leaving the church. Yeah. The witnesses were, were leaving uh, the church. Uh, these yep. changes that took place when they started coming up with the idea of priesthood or restored priesthood, Melchizedek, Aaronic, all this kind of stuff. When that happened and they and it suddenly were showing up in the revelations inserted into revelations like section 17. I, I forget which section that is in LDS. Our LDS is 17. Um, that starts out as a short revelation. That's not really a revelation anyway. In the book of commandments, it's not God speaking directly, but it says how we've got elders, priests and teachers and deacons and here's their their duties and that's it and never mentions priesthood or anything like that it's a very short in 1835 section 17 is greatly expanded upon and suddenly we've got high priests and everything else and a whole lot of stuff okay and when that happened that was when david whitmer and a lot of other people left the church and they were like if you're if you're just suddenly inserting these things into revelations i mean some of these revelations they inserted and removed things from came directly out of the interpreters or the, the Yerman Thumb and according to the witness of many of the early elders. So this is directly from, from God himself and people were changing them. And, and so people are leaving, there's dissatisfaction. People are wondering what's going on. You know, and there's a lot of new people coming to the church and they're Joseph Smith worshiping, Sidney Rigdon worshiping. They're just whatever they say is good. And there's disaster after disaster. And for me, I just wish, I mean, at this point, and even speaking this history is so awful. I just wish you could have a timeout and just step in there and go, stop. We need to stop. Something is wrong. 
it's time to get on our knees and ask God what we're doing wrong and repent. But the church pressed forward. And then we get into baptism for the dead and on and on and on and on. And eventually we end up with polygamy and Joseph is killed and all that kind of stuff. Um, something terrible has happened here. And, and I just want to say one thing, Mike, because I know probably already a lot of your listeners probably shut this off at some point um, because it's just too hard to look at it. I understand that. Um, I want to point out that, that in all this, we know that God himself brought the church out of wilderness or began to, began this restoration. And I believe that restoration is going to continue. He will set his hand a second time to restore his people. And he brought forth the Book of Mormon, this amazing, amazing gift uh, to correct our stumbling, if we would just listen to it. And what we find is whatever we say about priesthood today or ideas about priesthood, whatever is challenging for your listeners to listen to, um, what we know is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he does call out upon men. He calls upon individuals uh, to serve him. And he and there are various offices. And offices are essentially, they're, they're names of things, of a type of job that he's asked them to do. Um, and so we have names for those. Uh, the, I don't think the names are as important as what it is that God's asking him to do. He's, he's asking them to do specific tasks. And people are set aside to do those tasks. We call that ordination. Uh, all of this is true. We believe in it. Um, but something began to change in those beliefs, and we set up a whole other thing that is so much more, and it just really kind of overshadows what Christ did for us. It overshadows the Book of Mormon, and it really overshadows our own personal relationship and covenant with Christ that we're supposed to have. The word priest... Uh was to denote something, uh, a person did something that people could not do, a job that people could not do for themselves. That's how it was set up. They would do something, represent the people to God, and represent God to the people because we were in this broken process. That, that's what a priest does. Uh, it's a great example, and this almost seems silly, but it really hit home to me. Uh, Tim Mackey was doing a teaching on priest and what the word actually you know, how we get this idea. He says, I have no idea how to fix cars and my car works every day until it doesn't. And if something happens, yeah. I get in my car. He said, I take it to the mechanic and the mechanic has the knowledge to fix my car. He said that auto shop down the road, that's a temple. He said, it's a, it's a holy place where there's not holy. It's a place. It's a temple. And my friend John or the mechanic is a priest. He is he has knowledge. He is taking my broken system and he's going to fix it. And he works and operates in this, this temple. This does this job that I cannot do for myself. And he presents it back to me. Perfect. And it's fixed. And that was the idea of a priest. Plain and simple. It was doing something we couldn't do for ourselves. Those, those people could not be free from sin other than to have the blood spill, and it could only be spilt by one person. They couldn't do it themselves and be clean. It had to be a priest. Jesus yeah. fulfilled that. There is no priesthood that can do something that we can't do for ourselves like there was in the, in the uh, temple. Jesus himself 
did that for us. And so yeah. when we have servants or we have somebody set aside, it's not the role of a priest in the temple. And that's where I think our priesthood kind of takes yeah. on this, uh, this real, you know, great controlling body that goes between us and the Lord. Yeah. Um, there's people set aside to do tasks, but not that position that Christ fulfilled it so that we don't need to go yeah. have one person do something. Those priests all, all were uh, fallible. They all had a certain amount of life expectancy and then they died. And the next one had to step in and take over. Jesus is eternal. There is no one yeah. to step over and take over his job. Now that you have Christ as the head of the church, he's running things. We are supposed to be taking our orders from him. Every single one of us, not just certain individuals who then turn around and tell you what his will is. We're supposed to all discern it. If you look at your own body and compare it to the body of Christ, if you look at your own body, every cell in your body, every organ, everything is all working together, getting its own commands and, and things directly from the head of everything. It, it, you know, they don't, they're not, they don't have to listen to someone else tell them what to do. They know what to do. It's their job. And that goes right down to every member of the, the body of Christ, because Christ gave us this tremendous gift. He says, yeah, I, I have to go away now, but I'm doing that because I'm going to give you a part of myself that can be everywhere that every single one of you can have. You don't all have to rip off the roof of a building and lower someone down through to get to me because of the crowds that are around me. Now I can abide in every single one of you 24 seven all year long. And that is the Holy spirit. That's he's, it's the spirit of Christ. It's a greater yeah. portion of that spirit of Christ that we have. And so we have all of that. And so we don't need that type of priesthood anymore. We do not need a priesthood or even a prophet to tell us the words of God. Now there are prophets in the new Testament church. They speak words of God. And it says that they are to speak them in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Um, and there's that, a gift of prophecy. Yeah. We're not saying that uh, yes. as a result of the function of the Holy Spirit in the person. Yes, but we don't need a the prophet who tells everyone and gives them their marching orders because as if we can't hear that ourselves from the Lord and we can't discern that within the body itself, that there should not be even members that don't have to be a part of any particular ordained ministry that could stand up and say, the Holy Spirit is telling me this. And then you could have two or three, four or five people, some of them ordained, some not, and stand up and say, I received this same thing. And they can all bear witness to what they saw. And then you have consensus. This is how the New Testament church worked and functioned. This is how the early church with Joseph Smith, Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and all these guys worked up until 1830. And then we got ourselves a president, prophet, seer, revelator. We started organizing. We started getting a hierarchy where one's above each other. And, and this person is above that person. And this person takes their orders from this person. Well, that doesn't exist before. That doesn't exist in the New Testament. It doesn't exist in the Book of Mormon. As I finished watching your, your third part, I thought, so what now? What does this mean? And if people are listening, um, you're thinking, well, what does this mean? Like, nothing's real anymore? And it's like, no, nothing could be farther. That's not how I see it. So I yeah. wanted to just talk no. about the implications of this. Because I, uh, as I met with a friend uh, a few weeks ago, 
that was not happy with with some of the things that I've said and done. Um, he said something to the effect of, you know, I don't even know if you believe in your priesthood, Colin, or do you have priesthood authority? And, and maybe that was on a, a text message, but we, we discussed mm-hmm. it. And as he asked that, I I just began to explain what I hadn't really put together thoughts. And, and But what I said was, if I'm not righteous and humble, if I don't know Jesus, if I'm not seeking him with a broken heart and contrite spirit, it doesn't matter who laid hands on my head. I have no authority to do anything of benefit to any other human. I have no way to give them what Jesus wants them to have because I don't know Jesus. But if I'm righteous and if I'm seeking God with all my heart and I, I want to know him and I'm interacting with him, again, it doesn't matter who laid hands on my head or didn't. If I know Jesus, then I can share him with other people and I can affect their lives and allow him to enter in with them. There is no need for me to be quote a priest or a teacher or an elder. It's about knowing Jesus. And there's plenty of ministers that don't know Jesus, even though they might have the correct authority. And ideally there's plenty of ministers that do know Jesus and perhaps, Mm -hmm. um, are also ordained to a certain office, but it's the righteousness. It's the relationship that allows us to minister to people, whether you're a woman or a child or a man. So one thing for sure we we need to understand is that uh, Satan uh, throws up a cloud of confusion and he tries to confuse our minds. He tries to confound us, especially when we're trying to come to a truth. And so that's something we need to be aware of. And I see a lot of confusion over this. I can tell that even if people listen to the words and the testimony that I share, they're not actually hearing it. Uh, even as you experienced the other day on a post where to me, it was evident when I read their response that they hadn't actually read it or they had, and maybe their mind had been clouded and they were just, Satan was telling him that it said something that it didn't. I think um, that's, that's the case when we're so predisposed yeah. to this uh church that joseph set up that we we see things through those goggles and yeah it clouds us so here here's the distinct here's one distinct difference and there's a lot of things that we could we could spend another hour on this alone but here's a distinct difference between the notion of priesthood that end up gets setting up getting set up in the church okay and the true ministry that christ can call us to and in priesthood we have this notion of keys you just go search the Bible in the Book of Mormon and the Book of Mormon and the New Testament in particular. Guess what you're going to find out when you go search those keys? You're going to get something very different, a different idea. But we have in later in the restoration, as things begin to get corrupted, we get this idea of keys and keys becomes a dis. Here's the idea of a key and mysteries. Yeah. If I'm in a, if I'm in a mansion, if I'm in God's mansion, his eternal mansion, the the mansion of the earth, the mansion of the heavens or whatever. There's a lot of different doors that are locked. There are places I'm not allowed to go. You you have to listen to the Lord and he will guide you what he wants to do. But when you got a key, then you get a key. You can just go and lock that door. You don't need the permission of the Lord. You just unlock the door. And what I see happening with the concept of priesthood many times is I have been given authority because this guy laid hands on me and this guy laid hands on him. And this guy all the way back to Joseph Smith. And now that gives me the ability to do as I see fit using my own wisdom and desiring to do good um, based on my understanding of what it says I can do. 
and I'm going to exercise that authority. And that, that is the problem because Jesus is the example, not Joseph Smith or anybody else. He is our example. What did Jesus say? He said, I do nothing but I, what I see the Father showing me to do. And why did Jesus give us the Holy Spirit? So we can do the same. And so I don't care what authority people claim to have or what office they have. It doesn't matter to me. What I need to feel and understand and know and discern is that they are acting according to as the Holy Spirit is leading them. And there are other spirits out there like to pretend they're the Holy Spirit, but their fruits are different. And if you don't have the love of your fellow man in mind and feel that love and compassion for him, and, and instead this self-righteousness, when you're exercising what you're doing, you're, you're in trouble. You're in troubled waters. And so uh, what we have is that people are called to do specific tasks. There were people in the Book of Mormon who Christ chose and said, I'm going to give you authority to baptize people. Okay. And another place he said, which was really interesting to me, he said, before I go, I'm going to pick a, a person, a particular person who will give you the bread and the wine, you know, basically do this communion thing. One person. Well, in our mind, we just like, well, anyone who's of this office can do that. But Christ actually was going to pick one person before he left. It makes it very special. And so he gives people certain jobs to do. And then those jobs can have names attached to them. The names are not that important because it's not a part of a hierarchy organization. It's just a job that Christ has asked you to do. And so if he's asked me to teach, you can call that a teacher. Why wouldn't you? I mean, but I don't need to go around like it's a title and put it on my um, you know, business card or whatever. And everyone must say teacher Doug Hatton or something like they do some in churches, you know, elder so-and-so right. or apostle so-and-so. That's not the point. That's It's just a job. And then carried with the task that the, the Lord is asking you to do, okay, is an authority. But that authority is only present if you are abiding in the will of God and that you are acting in that moment as the Holy Spirit is leading you, not according to your wisdom or what you think is right or what you think the scriptures say. That's, and that's a danger zone. And you're bringing up very valid points because, as we said, there's no longer a need for the high priest to do a job as far as sacrifice for us. But if you have in the Book of Mormon, you know, after Jesus came, if you have priests and elders or, or, or teachers, um, a priest, once again, is someone that does something. It's not about sacrifice, but you need to be baptized. Yeah. Jesus says that's the first fruits of repentance. And so you have to be baptized by someone that is doing that job other than yourself. Otherwise, we could all just go and fall down in the water ourselves and, and say, I baptize. Well, if, if we didn't have someone to baptize us, we can. Well, I'm going to do There's nothing that prohibits it. Um, a okay. couple of examples. But... but when you have a body of people and you have someone specifically that Christ has said, I want you to go do this. What we're going to understand is not because he's, he's a, on a higher level than us. He's not higher than us. He's actually lower. So all the ministries that Christ calls... He said who he would be greatest must be le will be least in the kingdom. Okay. So if he has a hierarchy, it's it's upside down from what we see it. And what he says is he's calling us into to be servants. And servants are not greater than the people they serve. 
And so this idea that we boss people around and tell them what to do and that we know better because we're in the priesthood is 100% wrong. This is Satan's version and that's where... of ministry, which we call priesthood in my mind. And Christ's example is servanthood. And so, you know, deacons got invented in the book of Acts because there's just a need. Like we need someone to feed these people and take care of their physical needs. What are we going to do? Well, let's, we will pick these, you know, people that are full of the Holy Spirit and strong in the Lord. And, and then they will serve these people. And that is every ministry that is in the church. You are a servant. You because, are beneath those you serve. Right. Cause the people calling them had other callings and they said, we can't do both. What can we do about this? Yeah. So we can go do what it's really. So I want to think about nuts and bolts specifics. When people hear this kind of thing, they, they probably feel a sense of loss. And I want to really dive down and say, what exactly are you losing by looking at this in an honest way that perhaps something was set up that wasn't right? But what what are we losing? People say, well, so Mike Barrett, are you a priest? Uh, I, you know, are you going to preach? And I would say, what, what does the Lord say in the Book of Mormon that a member of the body of Christ who's been baptized by the spirit should speak with the tongues of angels. And what does that mean? When you speak with the tongues of angels, you speak the words of Christ. That's the calling of a woman, young, young teenagers that have committed their life. Men. uh, If I have a chance to bear my testimony of Jesus and to quote, preach or speak the words of Christ, I'm going to do so. I'm only as good of doing that as I have a relationship with the Holy spirit. And that's the, you don't have to be ordained to do those things you just mentioned. Every single person who is born of the Spirit, born again, a new creature in Christ, and has the Holy Spirit indwelling them, anybody can preach. Preaching is just speaking and, and sharing what the Holy Spirit is speaking through you, and that's okay. But we also have a need where, well, there's a lot of people being baptized. Imagine if we were growing and exploding because we had the Holy Spirit with us once again because we repented of these things. And we are being led by him and there's a revolution and people are coming to the Lord in tears and there's people being baptized. Well, we have need of someone to, to serve these people in a way of like, we need someone who's going to baptize people. And the Lord may say, I want this person to do that. I want this person to do uh, baptism or maybe serving the communion, the, the emblems of uh, the sacrament or whatever. And that's fine. Um, but that doesn't put you above. And there's so many things that we think is only the purview of priesthood. It's not, it, it, it not scripturally. This is, right. This is a part that's, that's probably off-putting and scary or seems sacrilegious to people. I'm not saying that God doesn't call people to do things. Yeah, it, it's for operating. But so the danger, we say, what, what are we really losing? Well, what have we really gained? What we've, what we haven't gained is we, we have a culture in our church because of our way of worship that was, you know, basically a reflection of the Protestant worship where you come to a service and you expect a man with authority who has this, this special knowledge from God is going to impart wisdom to you, whether it's a Baptist preacher that's ordained or, you know, any, we, we adopted that. Yeah. And so we are in this idea that on Sunday mornings, there's a body of men who somehow have this supernatural connection above and beyond what the common member of that church has. 
and that they are the ones to impart that knowledge. And most likely we think of that as who ordained who, but again, it's back to, do they know God if you're going to get anything beneficial? And I, and this can happen. This could happen every Sunday or it couldn't happen, but it's not based on, on who ordains you. Now, the, the neat thing is we had our friends come, Doug, on New Year's Eve. Doug, Doug uh, some friends who are, I won't say their names because they are not, I don't think their family knows, but they came across the podcast. Uh, mine, Doug's, they reached out to Doug by email. They were going to be in town. They'd never been here. We ended up inviting them over for New Year's Eve. And there's this wonderful LDS family who has stepped away from the LDS tradition. I felt like they were my brothers and sisters. The Lord had showed them things that, I felt he's taught me the neat thing was they decided to leave the LDS church and go to a Christian church, just a Bible believing Jesus serving Christian church. And she said she missed hearing the book of Mormon and the words of the book of Mormon. And so they went back to their, to their ward, which is a fairly new ward for them. They had, they had relocated, but she didn't believe. And so she wanted to be honest. She went in and talked to, her bishop and said, Hey, don't believe in temples. I don't believe this and that. I don't believe the prophets saying things from the Lord. Uh, but I love the book of Mormon. I love Jesus. And I just need to be transparent. And he told her something to the effect of, you know, I serve Jesus, not a church or something to that effect and welcomed her. Not only welcomed Bishop, (laughs) the Bishop gave her a calling to teach the women. And she used a story in the Book of Mormon, and I didn't, ca- I forgot who she said, but the example was that the Lord shared with her. There was a guy that didn't want to any more minister to a group of people, and the Lord said, "No, go back." And she felt like the Lord was saying, "Minister, you don't have to leave your congregation. Minister where you are, because we're back to that foundation, right? Mm-hmm. Our calling is to love God, love people, and be transformed. You can do that wherever the Lord, the Lord plants you. But what was neat." She was given by her bishop. He said, I want you to give a talk, and their worship's different. Prepare a talk about how you find Jesus in the Old Testament and share it with the congregation. See, they don't have this idea where a man stands up and preaches every Sunday. This was a lady who's a member, and I I think that's wonderful. I love that. I love that aspect. So, yeah, and that's that's, – what you said is is straight on – why we worship the way we do is we took that away from the Protestants and the Protestants took it away from the Catholic church. Uh, how the early Christians worshiped, they didn't have a pulpit. They didn't have someone that's always at the front of everything. Now there were times when the apostle Paul came, traveled a long ways and came and he, he spoke to them, you know, uh, oftentimes he was there to try to set them straight on something that can happen. Yeah. Uh, but how the true Believers worship, you go read the accounts and and how they worshiped in the Book of Mormon, you can read in Moroni 6, is that they just came together and the Holy Spirit presided over what they did. And every single member of the body of Christ that is gathered there can speak a word from the Lord, can preach or teach or exhort from the scriptures. Every single member can give a prophecy. They could give a tongue, an interpretation of tongue. Um, They can lay hands. The believers, the members themselves can lay hands on all three books of scripture, by the way, Book of Mormon, 
backs up what the New Testament says. The believers themselves who believe on the words of the apostles, that believe the gospel and get baptized, they will be able to do these things. Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And all things were done according as the Spirit presides. Moroni chapter 6. And they didn't have a bulletin. They didn't have a planned out scheme. They didn't have a planned speaker uh, that we all sit as an audience and look to. They came with the only expectation is that they were there to meet God and that he would work in and through all of them. Any of them could work, you know, in the gifts of the Spirit. And I'm just going to say the Book of Mormon says what happens when these things are done away with. It's because of unbelief. Now I'm asking people to look sincerely. Because of the vain traditions of the fathers. Yes. They look at yourselves. Look at your congregations. They dwindle. Look at the state of the restoration. We have dwindled in unbelief. The unbelief is not, uh, I mean, we think plenty about the priesthood and we can defend it all day long. It's not getting us these gifts. We're not being restored. We're still dwindled. So something's wrong. And what is missing is that we're not presiding by the Holy Spirit. We are presiding by tradition. And we are stuck in these traditions. And I'm questioning these traditions. And the reason why I'm doing it is because the Lord himself brought it to my attention. And it spoke to me. And I resisted. I didn't understand. I thought I was going along with what he was saying. But I thought we were just, maybe there's a few things wrong. Or maybe we've got something wrong. And I kept trying to fix it and hold it up to the Lord and say, is this what you're saying? Maybe this is not right. And he's like, you don't understand. It's so much deeper than that. It's profound. It's like, we need to forget about all this. We need to go back to the two books. Two books, the Bible and the Book of Mormon. God said, I'm going to give you this gift, okay? And this will correct the stumbling of the Gentiles. Are we stumbling? Man, we are stumbling so bad. We don't even really hardly have the gifts anymore among us. We are dwindling in unbelief. We've lost our youth and... Yeah, just looking around and go and trying to blame various things isn't the right path, but we do need to get on our knees and ask the Lord what's wrong. And this is what I've been doing. This is what the Lord has been showing me. It's not about taking something away. It's not about just saying, well, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. It's But you have to, when he's telling you what is right, it is a natural conclusion that you will realize what is wrong. And that's called repentance. And so what is really happening here is God wants to give us a gift. He wants to restore his people, but we can't do it on our own terms and according to our own errors. He's loved us in spite of these errors all these years. Men have been called and served God. They believed it was priesthood. They believed it was Aaronic priesthood or Melchizedek. And, and whatever is the truth on that, it doesn't matter so much. The Lord was willing to work with us because he knew if your heart was right, then he was willing to work with you and call you and work through you. But a time must come eventually that if you want Zion, if you want to be a part of the new Jerusalem, if you want to have the powers of heaven come down and come upon you, and if you want to walk once more in that kind of power and see the church rise up, so that the world cannot ignore it, but they see the very power of God when they see Christ in it. There's only one way to do that. We've got to drop everything that is of us and go to him, go running to him. We've got to give everything to him and do it his way, because what we're doing is not getting it. 
We're no closer to Zion than we've been for what last 190 years, whatever. We're not getting any closer. We're getting further away, to be honest. And we're dividing over small, petty things and excluding one another just because, well, someone ordained seventies or some group did whatever. Well, now we're going to kick out a whole group of people and they're not even good enough to fellowship with us. Something is really wrong here. This is not the spirit of Christ. All right. It's time to repent and have a broken heart and a contrite spirit and come to him with everything and be willing to be as a child and learn again what is really of him and what isn't. And I find such freedom in what you what you say there. In my mind, and we may all say things different. I have, it's not, yeah, if you change the form without the spirit, you just have a mess. I don't, I, and I'm not calling to change yeah. the way we worship it. What I, what I see insightful and hopeful, I can go to church in the form that we have now and sit in Sunday school. And I, I see people teaching. If that man knows Jesus and I'm striving to know Jesus, then things are produced that are the word of God and truth. And we're all edified. Uh, if the minister knows Jesus, uh, the man chosen to speak that day and is humbly walking with him, we're going to be edified. Um, those things, nothing, none of that changes at all. We're not giving any of that up. But what what may be prohibiting us is the culture, the expectation, and the box that we've placed ourselves in. And if there's a way to come out of that box and, re, and maintain the same form and function, so be it. But but if it results in something else, so be it. But, but we can't uh, – but my hope, my, my great desire – is that the people realize how valuable they are and, and look, start looking to Jesus directly in the Holy Spirit and hearing from him and don't look to men. And even though we wouldn't admit that we look to men, it's throughout our culture. We're, we're products of those problems. Uh, but I really want the women, the children, the, the yes. unordained men, the young teenagers to realize God wants direct intimate relationship through the Holy Spirit with them. And I don't think that this discussion has um, made me feel like I've lost anything rather than I have hope that we're going to gain something much more as we put um, things in proper perspective. Uh, I think people have a tendency to look back and say, well, what about all these testimonies of my grandma and grandfathers and, and these healings and the elders came and that's none of that's negated. Nope. That's Jesus loving people using the system that they have to, yeah. to do his work, which is love on his children, help them when they need help. Yeah. You're not cast off. Like we're not, um, we're not cast off because we maybe had a, a wrong system. We still have a yeah. father that loves us and we're his kids. Yeah. Because the Lord isn't like restoration saints. I mean, he's a lot more merciful. Right. You know, he called me to be a teacher. I I heard his voice. And two weeks later, uh, a, a priesthood member comes and says, you've been called to be a teacher. Okay. And, and I, I know it's him and I was ordained and set aside. None of that changes. Okay. None of that changes whatsoever. Now, on top of that, I had some other baggage. I'll call it baggage where I go to look at what a teacher is. And, and among other things, it's a part of an ironic priesthood. 
And I never did understand how teaching had, or being a teacher has anything to do with ironic. I mean, I understand the explanation of the doctrine comes, but something didn't seem right. So if something changes there and we're, we get a correction from the Lord that that wasn't quite right. Okay. What has changed? You, you eject a little bit of baggage that maybe takes you in a wrong direction at times, but you still have the truth that God is calling to us as his people and he's calling every one of us to serve him, whether you're set aside and ordained or not, every single one of us. And he may call people to specific types of jobs within the body of Christ. And we have titles for those or names or whatever, and that's good. I'm going to make you a teacher. Okay. And all that's true. My grandfather served the Lord faithfully his whole life. Um, so, you know, he had all these other ideas about priesthood, but that never prevented him because he didn't really seem to care that much about titles or all this other various things. The, he, the man followed the Holy Spirit and he loved God with all his heart, mind, strength. He loved the people. Um, he was such an example to me. It doesn't matter just because he had some error uh, that was taught to him or that there were some traditions that he didn't know were wrong. The Lord doesn't abandon him. He's still going to work with us to the degree he can. And he does. Now, why, if that's the case, then let's continue in that, right? Except eventually God does call us to repentance and it is the time for restoration. It is time for the Lord to correct some things. And he decides that time. I believe that time is now. He's calling upon not just me, but I've had, I, I can't, I, I can't even say how many people now, 20, 30, 40 people confirming many of these things that I've received, that they received it independently, even before I did. And they shared with me their testimony. Some people don't want to accept that yet. I understand. But are we throwing something away? Well, what are we throwing away? We can still love God with all our heart, mind, strength and we can still serve him, and we can serve one another, and we can follow his spirit, and we can follow the directives that are given in the two books of scripture that he gave us. And if we do that, I think we're on our way. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, <clears throat> I was having lunch with a good friend the other day, and, and he's like, I'm with you in a lot of these things. He goes, well, but you know, what about baptism? Can, you know, if someone called you from Ohio and said, hey, will you come baptize me? And uh, do you have authority to do that? And you know, these, these questions come up, you know, how is someone called to the ministry? And I don't have all those answers because I haven't, we haven't operated. We just haven't ever been able to even look at those questions. I, I think if there's a group of people that are honestly, humbly seeking God answers come to those things, that doesn't mean that I have any of those answers or, cause I don't, I have more questions, but I, yeah. I think we need to focus on things that seem to be absolutely not in alignment with scriptures when it comes to priesthood and at least start there and acknowledge it and then say, God, what, how do we go forward? Cause we can't lead ourselves forward. We can't be blind and then take ourselves to where we need to go. We need, we need the light of the Holy spirit. And so I have, I realize these things post post answers. The thing Doug, that, that testifies to me is I'm finding more inclusion and greater love. Yeah for people without uh, compromising any truth, I don't think. But what I'm seeing is a greater anger and harshness from people that I love towards me because something that their foundation is on 
is being attacked and there's that fear or that control, especially among priesthood. And I don't like being the cause of people not liking me, not because I don't want to be liked. Of course I do, but it's, it's a sadness that I'm because of what I say, other people have anger and harshness in their hearts. And that's sad, but, uh, I don't know. That's not the intent. Yeah. Um, I feel more love towards people because I see that it's not it's not the institution that we think we've built that has a responsibility to do the Lord's work. It's people that love yeah. him have the responsibility to do his work, and that's who he chooses. Um, I wanted to say that, uh, you know, a word about our LDS friends and family. Um, I call them family now. Uh, in 2007, I'd, I'd wrote the first book that the Lord had asked me to to write. And when I finished that book, I was asking the Lord, what do I do with this? And what's this going to be? And the answer that came by the way of the Holy Spirit was that, uh, (laughs) that there was going to be a tremendous harvest out of the LDS church. And from that day forward, the spirit began to give me a love for the people, the LDS church. And instead of thinking about their flaws or what I disagreed with them about, I began to feel this great compassion. And I realized what a, those people are such great stewards and man, they, they take it all the way. And even if there's errors, they're just really diligent. Okay. And I began to have this love instilled in me and all these years later, it's happening in 2020 in particular was a great herald of it. When the earthquake hit the temple in Salt Lake city, as they were trying to earthquake proof it. And that earthquake caused the engineers and the workers to flee the temple. And the trumpet in Roni's hand was torn out of his hand, ripped right out of his hand in that earthquake. And what I hear from these dozens and dozens and dozens of LDS people writing me and contacting you and Shane and others, and they keep using a word. I was awakened in 2020. I was awakened in 2019. I was awakened in 2021. They keep using the word awakened. Now, the reason why I'm sharing that, and and they're walking away from so much. I mean, most of them walking away from all the temple stuff, all the temple ordinances. They, They no longer believe in their prophet, but they have a strong conviction of the Book of Mormon and returning to the doctrine of Christ as a Book of Mormon describes it. And so they're becoming brothers and sisters with me because it's the same direction the Lord has given me. But they use the word awakened. Well, I don't know about you, but if you're resting peacefully and someone tries to wake you up, sometimes you get irritated. It could be irritating. The, the alarm clock is irritating to me. So I think it's to be expected, and it's only normal, that when you when we talk about these things, it can be irritating to people. If this is an awakening, then, and it's a Lord doing it, it is just the natural instinct of us that it can be an irritation. It's not, it makes us uncomfortable. We don't like being uncomfortable, uh, but God is calling us out into the wilderness And, well, the wilderness isn't a place of comfort. It's a place of discomfort. It's a get out of your comfort zone and learn how to follow him wherever he leads. That's what this whole experience is. And I'm excited. Uh, 
I, I, I'm trying to understand people's reaction. I can understand it on various levels, but at the same time, I have such a joy in my in my heart and in my soul because I see God's hand moving. And what he's doing is what he said he would do. He said there will be one shepherd and one fold. And I see that we're going to be with many of these, our LDS brothers and sisters, our LDS people, Temple Lot people, whoever, and Christians that didn't even believe in the Book of Mormon at one time. It's We're all going to come together into one fold. And all these people have things they're going to have to lay down, and we're going to have to lay down some things. But what we'll do is in rejoicing, we'll come to the truth, and we will cling to those things that are most important, and he will show us what is what. You won't have to listen to me, Mike Barrett, or anybody else, what they're what they believe we have our testimony each person must have their own testimony but there's only one way to get that testimony we have to come to the lord with everything that we have yeah the, the scripture that says there'll be no more teaching or need for teaching because every person will be enlightened by the holy spirit and there is there's no more need for sunday school class it's just let's worship our creator knowing how much he loves us and basking in that knowledge of his love for us is so so beautiful. Uh, we're going to be too busy for your Sunday school class because we're going to have to go out and just be bringing, bringing in, throwing our nets out and, and catching the fish of men, you know, be fishers of men. I mean, we're going to be bringing so many people in the church and baptize every, every single time we come together in the church, there's going to be dozens, perhaps a hundred baptisms. That day is coming. There's going to be a great harvest. We're going to be too busy to play church. <laughs> And we're going to have to get to work, every single one of us. And no one is going to be able to just sit in the pews. We're all going to have to go to work, even little children. And I do believe what the scripture shows will come to a day where even children will prophesy and speak the words of Christ. I'm excited about that. I'm willing to give up almost anything to be live with the living Lord and seeing the church exploding and flourishing like that. Can I give up? the notion of priesthood to do that? Yes. If that's what the Lord's asked me to do, I'll give that up and I'll give up anything. I'll give up any title. I don't care. As long as I'm doing what he wants me to do, we can call it whatever words you want to call it. Doesn't matter to me. Let's follow him and let's be his people. He will be our God and we'll be his people. Amen. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you brother for, for being here. It went longer. We'll make this into two parts. Uh, I hope that people listening, um, I just, I really have a soft spot for those in the church that have relied on men heavily to really exercise this grain of faith that Jesus wants to give you something directly with his Holy Spirit and you can listen to him and he can know you and you can know him intimately. And not only that, but you will have the ability to be a minister to other people uh, regardless of your sex or your age or your past, you can be a part of his work in, in bringing souls to know him. And that's the greatest joy that I've ever known. And, um, and being involved in his word and seeing the truth there is my great, great joy and hope. So, Doug, thank you for your series on priesthood. I know you didn't do it for glory. I know it was a heavy thing for you to do. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say that I agree with everything 100% or, or but but as a body of work, I find it fascinating. I find it helpful. And you really put 
used your gift as a teacher to make some things very simple for us and to ponder on them. So I'm glad you're my brother and thank you for sharing two hours of your Saturday morning with us. It's my pleasure. It's always good to speak with you. I'm sure we'll be together again in the future. Praise God. Thank you. Remember, we're walking each other home. Take care. <laughs>